And this morning, as we look in your word, Lord, give us a clearer glimpse of you. In Jesus' name, amen. I got back last night about nine, I think, from pheasant hunting in uh, Dorrance, Kansas, courtesy of Stan Langhofer. Am I loud enough? Can you guys hear me? Okay. <clears throat> Stan Langhofer and his parents in Dorrance, and Dorrance is uh, 200 miles from anywhere. I don't know. It's, it's at mile marker 199 anyway. It is in the middle of nowhere, and I think this is the third year we've gone up and hunted. And Teresa, I was so stinking sore this morning. I've got three, three Tylenol before I came into church this morning. Oh, man. Uh, great time. And Dorrance, my favorite thoughts of Dorrance really are Mrs. Langhofer's uh, meals. You know, that's what we, that's our last, uh, last thing we do before we leave. But the area around there really is lovely. Uh, there's a river and there are these bluffs up along there and one of the neatest things for me is the sky uh, you can see just about forever from horizon to horizon almost in any direction and that's nice during the day but it's even nicer at night and if you guys are like me I love to see the stars at night and if I go out in Topeka and look up at the night sky I can see the clearest constellations, the brightest stars, but that's it. And because of the diffused light that we get from around the city, we're missing probably two-thirds of the stars that are up there to be seen. But there are so few people in Dorrance and so few street lights or yard lights that it is dark, dark, dark at night. And what that means is the darkness allows you to see the brightness of all these stars. And it, it's glorious. It's great. But without the darkness, the light would not shine near as bright. So it's the darkness that allows you to see the stars in their glory. And that's not just true physically in Dorrance, Kansas. It's certainly true morally or spiritually. Dark times allow you to see clearly... the brightness of either what God's doing or what He's saying... And so this morning, as we look at a little bit of the Christmas story, I want us to think about darkness. That needs to be our backdrop, because without that context, some of the Christmas issues don't make as much sense as God wants them to. Let me read from Matthew 1, verses 20 through 23. These are verses we read last week. I just want to reference them, and then I want to go back to their source, and that's what actually we'll look at this morning. Matthew 1, 20 an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She's going to bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, which means God saves, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. All this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Matthew doesn't mention his name, but it's Isaiah, might be fulfilled, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, these words are lovely, no matter what context we read them in. But if you don't know the context in which they were originally spoken, they don't mean as much. Kind of like the stars at night, lovely at any time, but the darker the setting, the more of their glory we see. 
<clears throat> Before Mary and Joseph hear these words, they, they were spoken more than 700 years earlier by Isaiah in Isaiah 7, and that's actually the verses we'll look at this morning. But the context of Judah and Israel at this time is morally and spiritually dark and godless, full of immorality. It was a terrible time. And if you don't know that, the words lose a little bit of their meaning. In Isaiah 7, 13 and 14, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, or God with us. Before I go on to more of the setting, in Isaiah 1 through 12, Isaiah himself and his wife and his children are part of the ways in which God speaks to the nation. Some people will tell you that Isaiah and his children were fulfillments of these verses, and they're not. In any stretch of the imagination, they're not. But they were certainly a reminder in context. Isaiah's wife was having children whose names represented what God was doing, but these kids were not Emmanuel, God with us. The person to whom these verses were first spoken was King Ahaz. And King Ahaz was one of the most wicked kings Judah ever saw. And I could go on, Melody, I could tell you more, but I'm going to keep my list short here this morning. These are just a few of the things he did. These are, these are a few of the things that characterize the, the man who got this first promise of Emmanuel, God with us. Ahaz burned incense. You can read this either in Isaiah or 2 Kings, I believe it's 16. He sacrificed to foreign gods on every high hill and under every green tree. These were phrases that were used about idol worship. <clears throat> he was just like the pagans around him. <clears throat> he made an altar. He visited Damascus. And in Damascus, he saw a pagan altar that he liked the look of. So he forwarded diagrams, sketches, information about this altar. He had a guy back in Judah recreate the same altar. And when he came back, he took the altar that was made for the temple and he scooted it out of the way to the north side of the temple grounds. He put his altar in the middle, and he sacrificed to his gods, foreign gods, on this altar. And it wasn't that the old altar wasn't used anymore because when he wanted to practice witchcraft or divination, he used the old altar from time to time. Nice guy. He, uh, he took the wealth of the temple both inside and out. He took the gold from inside the temple. If you guys remember, uh, there was a laver outside, a laver, a bowl made of bronze, this huge bowl, and it was suspended or held up by 12 bronze oxen. This thing was immense. I can't remember how many feet across it was. Big and heavy. He took the oxen from underneath the bowl and set it on the ground, and he did all this to pay tribute to the king of Assyria. And the scenario in the opening passages of Isaiah is uh, King Ahaz has some things to be worried about because he's being threatened by Israel to the north, Syria with Damascus, and the larger kingdom of Assyria. And actually the context in which these verses were spoken, God is encouraging this <coughs> wicked king to entrust himself and his kingdom to God's care. 
The temptation is to try to buy security from the king of Assyria. And that is, in fact, the choice he makes. And that's where all the wealth of the temple, God's glory is taken to to pay off a man whose life is in his breath, who's a passing shadow on the earth. That's the person Ahaz trusts in. And he takes all the wealth of the temple and pays off the king of Assyria. Last but not least... He was one more of these kings who took his infant sons and offered them as living sacrifices on molten uh, idol statues. So when we think of this golden little verse about Emmanuel, God with us, I want you to know that it was spoken into an incredibly dark time to an incredibly wicked king, King Ahaz. This theme of the virgin-born son continues through verse, or excuse me, through chapter 12 of Isaiah. In chapter 9, some well-known verses about him are spoken, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah continued by saying, a child is going to be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to his increase or to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. In chapter 11, this same virgin-born son is called the shoot from the stem of Jesse or the branch that bears fruit from the root of Jesse. And then those days describe what his kingdom rule would look like. The time when these prophecies were given was morally and spiritually dark. And so the promise shines bright. And then think of this too. When Emmanuel is born more than 700 years later, just contrast that time with the time the promise was given. There is a wicked king ruling over the nation. The nation is subject to a foreign power and through excessive taxation is giving all its wealth to Rome instead of Assyria. It's the same dark setting and environment in which the light that the Magi follow, see in the dark sky and follow, in which Jesus, the light of the world, comes, it's the same thing. It's to this dark, dark setting. But it's because of that that his coming, his first advent, his birth, is all the more bright or is seen all the more clearly. It's because it comes in such a dark, dark time. Also, at Christmas, we uh, we think of all these little stories, you know, the Christmas stories, and they're nice. And I, I love Linus on the stage in Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, and he's quoting Luke and the story. It's, it's golden and it's kind of romantic and all. Um, but you know, frankly, if that's all there was to the Christmas story, we would we'd be in trouble. And the truth is that that truth of Emmanuel, God with us, it was more than a promise to Ahaz, and it was more than Jesus first coming to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem uh, two thousand years ago. This is a promise that you and I have today, and in fact, um, <clears throat> we have uh, we live in an age and in a day in which. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us, should be the normal experience of our life. Now just think about this for a minute. Uh, Jesus came, 
he was born, and this prophecy, a virgin did give birth. It was fulfilled. But that first time he comes, of course, he doesn't come as the ruling king. He comes to be the lamb that will be offered for the sins of the world. So he's crucified, shocking his followers and his disciples, and he's buried. But then he rises from the dead, and he hangs out with the guys for about 40 days. And at the end of that time, he tells them, if you remember in Matthew 28, he says, guys, don't worry. I'll always be with you, even to the end of the age. I'll be with you. I, Jesus, God the Son, will be with you. That is Emmanuel, God with us. His departure physically doesn't end the experience of this promise. Or in Hebrews 13, the text says, we can be content with whatever we have because he'll <clears throat> excuse me, never leave us nor forsake us. So we still live in the age of Emmanuel, God with us. In fact, <clears throat> better than that, you think of the words of Jesus to his disciples in John 14. He's thinking about leaving them. He knows he's going to be crucified the next day. And he says this, <clears throat> I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper, someone just like me, that he may be with you forever. God, This promise of God with us, it doesn't end with Jesus' physical departure. Jesus says, God's going to send you someone else just like me that he'll be with you forever. Uh, you know him because he abides with you. This is before the Holy Spirit was given in Acts 2. He's been with you, but Jesus says then, and he will be in you. And then in verse 18, he says, I won't leave you as orphans, but I'll come to you. And in that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I am in you. So to that promise of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus raises it, if you will, or he improves at one level, because in this age, it's not just that God is with us physically next to us or physically where we could put our hand out and touch him as John did. But he says he's been with you in the past, but from now on he will be in you. So we have Emmanuel, God with us, one better. We have Emmanuel, God with us, and God in us in this age in which we live. The best message you and I can hear, and frankly anyone else can hear, is the same thing that Mary and Joseph heard in Matthew 1 and Luke 1 and 2, or King Ahaz heard 700 B.C., it's Emmanuel, God, is with us. Now, you know, oftentimes, if you're like me, I read the story of King Ahaz, and I say, why didn't you trust? Or I read the story of Adam and Eve, and I say, why'd you do it? Why'd you blow it? And it's easy with 2020 vision, like Monday morning quarterbacking, to look back and say, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. I, I would have come through. I would have done what was good or right or whatever. Maybe, maybe not. You know, the truth is each one of us faces in our own life setting or context, we face little decisions, smaller scenarios or circumstances just like Ahaz did. And think of this from his perspective for just a minute. He really was facing foreign armies that were greater than his. We've never faced this in the United States. None of us have. But just 
you know, if today you were in Iraq or I don't know, someplace else that's subject to warfare, in which you know your life could be taken in a moment or everything you have could be taken. And here's this other king that, boy, if he just pays off this thing that he can touch or lay his hand on, this other person or his power, that that would be a solution to his problem. And yet how often do you and I <clears throat> worry and stress because we're doing exactly the same thing he did. We're doing exactly what God tells us not to. You know, be careful, be anxious for nothing. Pray about it, give thanks, and trust it to God. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, I know most of you in here, and I know most of you are pretty much like me, and that is this is not our first response most of the time. We're like Ahaz. We want to figure out a way we can keep the pieces of our life together, or we are going to figure out solutions to keep things going the way we think they should. We do the same thing. So it's into this context, it's into whatever your context is today that the answer to your problem or to your question is no different than it was 2,000 years ago or 2,700 years ago. It's Emmanuel, God is with us. It's the same. It's the same thing. So this Christmas season if you're feeling stressed out about preparations or family you're going to see or friends or that you're not going to see or whatever, the answer for your stress is the same. It's Emmanuel, God is with us. Or if you're feeling lonely or rejected in one way or another, the solution to your loneliness is the same. It's Emmanuel, God is with us. And think about this for just a minute. If Emmanuel, Jesus Christ personally, or in the person of the Holy Spirit, if he is all-powerful and all-knowing and benevolent and the God of all love, etc., etc., if you have him, if we have him as our resource, what else would we want? Much less, what else would we need if he's it either in his power or his character why would we turn any place else or kids this Christmas season if you're not happy with the grades you got last semester or if you've had falling out with family or friends or if mom and dad don't understand your world as they should the answer for you is the same isn't it Will Emmanuel, God is with you. <clears throat> it's the same for us no matter what our setting, no matter what the context. And the darker morally or spiritually or emotionally our life appears, actually the brighter the truth or the promise of this should shine. It makes things all the more clear. Just like the stars out in Dorrance, I can see them more clearly because of the darkness. This, this promise of God being with us, Emmanuel, God with us, this promise should shine all the more bright. It should feel all the more close or real when things are dark or confused or we are disappointed in one way or another. You know, not only for each one of us is this a truth that preserves us from all kinds of difficulty 
it honors God and it blesses us, but all of us are going to be seen just about guaranteed in this next week. You're going to be seeing friends and family members who don't know Emmanuel, God with us. They don't know Jesus Christ yet. Or maybe they do and they're struggling. So not only can you and I get the benefit of the truth or the reality in our own life of God is with us, but that's the hope that we have to share with others as well. You know, typically when you get together for the big Christmas dinner or the Christmas Eve party or whatever, there's focus on lots of presents and lots of good food, all of which is lovely and nice. But we lose Emmanuel in the rest of the wrapping. And what a great thing to remind ourselves in the presence of each other and especially in the presence of family or friends that don't know this hope yet. You know, the presents come and go. And the meals, we eat them and we enjoy them and, and they're gone. But this hope of Emmanuel, God with us, it outlasts that Christmas present or that meal or this season. You know, there's a lot of hype up to Christmas and then it's over. Guys, it's over Friday morning, except for the leftovers. But it'll be over and life will get on. And what will a week from now look like and a month from now look like? It's all glorious if our hope really is God is with us. God in the person of Jesus is with us. God in the person of his spirit isn't just with us, but he's in us. This really is the hope for Christmas or for Easter or for the 4th of July or any other time or any other occasion. Paul said it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isaiah said it's Emmanuel. God is with us. So this week, when you start to feel stressed, or you're in an uncomfortable situation with someone else, remind yourself what the ultimate shining star in the night sky is, what the ultimate truth is, not just for the Christmas season. It's that God is with us. So whatever we're facing, whatever we're tempted by, whatever person we're interacting with, this is the truth that we can cling to and hang on to and be good to go with. You know, this morning... um, we're sort of punting, not quite, but for worship time, we're singing songs we don't normally sing. And some of this gets a little thrown together. And you know what? The stress levels start rising because you think, can we pull this thing off? Well, you know what? We've got to change our focus and go back to why are we here and what do we want to do? We're here because we're gathered to the person of Jesus and we want to honor him by what we say and what we sing and giving thanks And if we do that, Emmanuel, God with us, will be all we need. We don't have to pull off a flawless service. We don't have to get it all done just right. And if your turkey's a little burned or you you don't get the present you hoped for or if the relative doesn't say what you hoped they would, whatever. You know how these things go. It'll be okay because that won't be our focus. But it's God with us is the focus. And if you think about this too, these lives we live, they are so short. They are incredibly short. And David says it's like a breath or a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. And we're really heading towards eternity. 
And then God with us becomes that ultimate reality and we're with God. And so really in the end, that's our focus. God's with us now and he's in us and we've got this taste of the ultimate Christmas celebration, the ultimate turkey feast or whatever, family get together, is yet to come. Anything we experience down here, it's gravy. It's good, but we don't set our heart on it. But ultimately, Emmanuel, God with us, that'll be true eternally, and we'll be with God eternally. Um, It's Emmanuel, God with us, that's the cause, it's the source of all our rejoicing. It's the reason for our celebration. And Emmanuel, God with us, it's the hope that should keep us going no matter what else is going or isn't going in our life, Christmas or any other time of year. Again, before we start our worship time with singing, be thinking about the ways God has blessed you. And during open service, open uh, worship time, share that. And those will be the gifts, so to speak, that we offer to God this morning, okay? Lord, this truth of your coming to earth and joining us, becoming like us, was absolutely necessary if we were going to be able to be reconciled to you. Lord, thanks that you took on yourself humanity, that you left the glories of heaven and were born to humble parents in humble settings to become the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Lord, thank you that subsequent to that you will be in the future the Lion from the tribe of Judah who will come back and will restore all things to yourself. And Lord, in between... We are your instruments on earth. We who have believed in your Son and have your Spirit are the ones you're working through to display the life of your Son to this world. Lord, it is a spiritually dark place. We live in a country, Lord, that to significant degree, like Israel and Judah of old, has turned its back on you and all your blessings. It's a dark place in a dark time, Lord. And we ask that the truth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, would be not only true for each of us, but that you would use us to speak that light, that glory, and that truth to others around us. Lord, we know that you're always at work, and we ask you to be at work through us. And we ask you to help us to experience the peace and the joy that God with us should mean to us and that we would reflect that same to others. Thanks for giving us yourself, Lord, for Christmas and for always. You are our hope. And Lord, we trust only you. In Jesus' name, amen.